2: Hello oh, and welcome back to the EPL Roundtable. I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, and as always, if you'd like to reach us at the podcast, you can do so by either tweeting us at EPL Roundtable or emailing us at EPLRoundtable at gmail.com.
0: Hi guys, I'm Jim. I'm the Leicester City representative for the EPL Roundtable. You can find me on Twitter at jim Not88.
1: Hi there, I'm Gitto. I am a member of the Jackass, the Swansea City podcast, and you can find us on Twitter at The Jackass.
3: Hi, I'm Rasmus. I'm a Chelsea supporter, and I run the Twitter account at Chelsea Rumors. Great. Thanks so much for joining us,
2: guys. Up First, of course, we have Making the Rounds, where we each have a few minutes to discuss what's been happening at our clubs this week. Jim, we'll put you up first. Obviously, as you expected at the beginning of the season, Leicester, top of the table through 25 weeks probably people are getting bored of you how excited
0: you are but how insane is it that you're still top of the table absolutely insane it's ridiculous like but the thing is like people have been looking for reasons to write us off the majority of the season so first it was like the easy fixture list then it was um oh we had to play a load of really good teams in a short period of time over Christmas so we'd surely drop off and then I think people expected us to come crashing and burning when we went to places like the Etihad um, or, you know, we hosted Liverpool and then we, we go to Arsenal um, at the weekend. So I think everyone's still expecting us to kind of crash and burn. It's getting scarily real now that we might actually win the Premier League, which is scary and massively exciting in equal measure.
2: Yeah, and uh, we talked a little bit beforehand, but... Uh I know you work in the betting industry and you're a Leicester fan and now Leicester the odds maker's favorite to win the title what's your view on it from kind of both sides of that coin
0: Yeah I think um I wrote a piece on this actually I've got a, I've got a piece to plug at the end but I I'm I'm in the uh, in the process of writing a piece about it and um I think basically this is it's the last couple of games have been a huge overreaction to those individual results but it's just been bringing it in line with where we should have been considering our results. To be fair, we're still like two to one favourites, which is still not a really, really short price, considering we're five points clear at the top of the Premier League. But if if it was, say, Manchester City or Arsenal that were five points clear at the top of the league, someone who had established pedigree in being at the top of the Premier League, there'd be massively odds on favourites and people would basically be writing the rest of the season off um, if it was them. So I think we're still being undervalued a little bit. But if you look at the odds going back to, you know, we we began the season at 5,000 to 1 um, to win the Premier League, which means there are some people with betting slips standing to collect, you know, enough to probably pay off their mortgages from relatively small bets, um, which is fantastic. There's going to be some really good stories. I'm not one of them, unfortunately, um, because I didn't have that much blind faith in us. Um, to back us at those kind of prices. But yeah, there are, there, there are some big firms in this country with big liabilities on Leicester. So I think they will be roundly cheering if, if we do manage to be picked to the post because there's going to be some uh, some glum faces at the bookmakers if, if Leicester do win the Premier League this year.
2: Yeah, I've seen a couple of people that have come out and said that they've uh, been given offers to kind of cash out uh, now for reduced fees. Would you advise them to do so? Or do you think this is something that they should really keep their faith in it, and you guys hopefully win the league.
0: Yeah, I mean, to be fair, and I think the biggest bet I've heard of, I know one firm laid um, £75 each way, which is, what, $150? No, about $125 Mm. each way, which the guy would stand to collect around $200,000 if we won the Premier League, um, which, you know, is a fantastic story. And, you know, a lot of people have got significantly more than that, uh, significantly less than that, sorry. Um, so they're probably looking to pick up, you know, ten grand or five grand, depending on how much they've had on. Why not just leave it? You know, you're not losing anything at the end of the day. This is the thing with cash out; it's always offering you a worse, a worse amount than the implied odds actually are giving you at that particular time. That's why bookmakers offer it because they like people to cash out and reduce their liabilities at a worse price than they would normally have to pay um, to do that. So. How often are you going to have a five thousand to one shot or a thousand to one shot running into the last ten games of the season with still a legitimate chance of winning? Um, it, it's kind of a, a story for you know a generation or maybe even more. So you just got to let it run and, and and see what happens. I think.
2: Alright, thanks. Uh, Gitto, uh, things looking much better over at Swansea. The play looks a lot better. Sigurdsson, who I can't talk to you without mentioning, has been looking a lot better. But the result's not necessarily going as great as they possibly could be. What's your take on Swansea of late?
0: Yeah, you,
1: you, you're right to say the results could have been better over the last few um, few weeks just because we've thrown away two points in our last two games. But Guideline's still uh, unbeaten since taking over. I think he's... Um, had, really stabilised things, um, carried on with the good work that uh, Alan Curtis had been doing uh, before he arrived. But he, he has given us a bit more security, really. Um, the team is looking better. We've now got a striker in Um, um we, We're still waiting to see how he turns out. But just having a striker who we can trust to, to start the game and, and do a striker's job, or at least try and do a striker's job, um, makes a big difference because it, it means that we don't have to Play with a diamond, which um, has brought a success. But when, when you play without a recognised striker, um, it, it really makes life difficult for you. Um, but but hopefully now that we have got a strike on board, we can start playing a bit more expansive football. Um, and, and hopefully, of course, start scoring again uh, on a more regular basis. Uh, you're right to point out that Gilfie Sears is playing very well. Um, he scored a very clever free kick against um, Crystal Palace, where he caught out Wayne Hennessy. Um, went for the opposite post to the one that um uh, hennessy expected. He definitely should have saved it, there's no doubt about that. And Hennessy's form is a bit worrying from Welsh point of view. But um he, he could have easily scored a second free kick in that game. Uh, and he does seem to be finding his range though. Um, and and that's a great weapon to have if I'm honest, especially when you know the, the other players on the team aren't really pitching in with the goals um so hopefully he can continue his improvement um because when of course he's at his best uh, he's probably our best player he's he's just brilliant to watch um but yeah, it, we've been undone though over the last few games by um two of our two of the biggest problems we've had this season um that is that we concede far too many set piece goals um our last three goals have uh, conceded have all come from corners against everton West Bromwich Albion and Crystal Palace. Two of those cost us two points each. Um, So we could actually be past the 30-point mark at the moment if we just managed to defend those set pieces a bit better. But we've we've conceded 14 goals this season from um, either free kicks, corners or penalties. And that's not including the goals we've conceded from our own free kicks, corners and penalties, which is also very high. Uh, It is amazingly painful. We're so bad at defending set pieces. And we're coming up against Southampton next, who are brilliant at them um so that that's something that we really need to work on. The other big problem is that we we were so bad in the first five or ten minutes after half time. Something happens in that dressing room that just sucks all the energy out of us against Crystal Palace again, we scored uh, we sorry, we conceded in the first five minutes after half time. That was the sixth time we've done that this season, and we haven't scored once in that same period. So those are the two big problems, I think, that we need to address. Um, but generally speaking, we're quite positive. We do think that we're going in the right direction, though.
2: Yeah, you mentioned uh, Guido in there. I saw a report today that's saying that he's uh, trying to integrate some Welsh into his press conferences. Is that something that you think is is uh, appreciated by the fan base?
1: Yeah, it's a nice touch. You know, it's uh, he, he started off um, in his first proper press conference. Um, saying borida which means uh, "Good morning," and then in today's press conference, he said "Penalda," which is uh, "Good afternoon." So um, I, I take it it'll be dark by uh, by the time he does his post match uh, press conference against uh, Southampton. So I take it we'll be hearing "Noswaetha" before that, which means "Good evening." Um, but it's a nice little touch. Um, it, it's it's been a while since we've had uh, Welsh language uh, interviews at the at the Swans. The last, I mean, Ben Davis, I think, was the last. Yeah, he was the last Welsh-speaking um, player that we've had at the club and Joe Allen before him. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a while since we've had uh, Welsh-speaking um, um, press conferences at Swansea. But it's a nice touch, and it uh, he, he has made a good impression since he um, joined the club. He seems like a nice guy, um, seems quite intelligent, and seems to know what the club is about. I know it's very early days, but he, he seems a pretty suited personality-wise, at least, to uh, to our club. Um that always, always helps.
2: Yeah, and you mentioned you have a tough matchup against Southampton next week. It doesn't get much easier after that, facing Tottenham and Arsenal, who are the fourth, first, and second best defenses in the league, um, which is obviously a little daunting. You are clear of the relegation zone for now. Are you now thinking you're looking up the table instead of
1: down it? We I had, the, we had this discussion on the Jackass this week. I, I am of the opinion that we're only two points off Chelsea and West Bromwich Albion, and I don't think anybody's seriously looking at them as relegation candidates anymore. And we're closer to them than we are to the bottom three, which, which is four points below us. So I, I'm, I think we've got the stage now where we are starting to look up at, to up at the teams above us rather than focusing entirely on the teams that are battling down the bottom. Um, Norwich are 18th at the moment, and they're they're in quite desperate fashion. They're in but, well, they're just awful at the moment. Um, they really are. They're, they're in a terrible way. And they're our first game after the tough run that we've got coming up. Um, if their form doesn't alter, and I, I can actually see them not picking up points in the next um, in the next three games. So we could actually lose the next three games theoretically and still have that four-point gap. Um, so I, we've, we've put ourselves in a nice position. We've given ourselves a nice little buffer we've still got a very long way to go. We're so far from safety still, but things are looking much brighter now than they were just a few weeks ago.
2: Alright, thanks, Gitto. Uh, Rasmus, it's been a while since you've been on, so just what's your general view of Chelsea and what you've been doing since uh, bringing in Goose Hitting?
3: It's not really been that exciting, to be honest. Um, he's come in and obviously tried to, to stabilise the club a bit, which was heading in in a very uh unfamiliar direction for us and uh as uh as you just mentioned guto so it's we're only two points above you and when i heard that you know it was just i rolled my eyes really (laughs) because when i think about the situation that we're currently in and that's really with uh i'm I'm, no offense to to clubs that are, are usually in this situation but it's it's such a strange feeling because throughout my entire life um I think we haven't finished in the bottom half of the table, and for that to be a, our reality right now is just something that is very difficult to get used to. So we all thought that you know Hitting would come in and and turn things around, and that's what we hoped at at the very least. And while he's undefeated, uh, most of his matches have been draws. I think like something like six out of eight matches have actually been draws. So it's um it's not it's not that impressive. At least we're not losing, but. It's it's not what what we need really. Um, when he came in, we were still talking about top four. We can definitely forget about that now. Um, drew against Manchester United on Sunday, which was which was an okay result really. Um, we scored in the very last minute, so obviously that's that's a morale booster. Uh, it's nice when you expect to to lose a game when you're one nil down in the 90th minute to then to then snatch a point is always. Uh, it's always nice, but it, it's it's not quite up to the standard that we're used to anyway. Uh, even though that Van Hal obviously thinks that United are the best team in the country right now, um, I disagree. But fair enough. Um, we played a bit better. We started the halves really, really bad, and United were totally dominating us. But then we grew into the match in in both halves, and uh, actually could have really won it. But. The point was was fair enough um unfortunately, Zuma is uh out injured for the rest of the season, probably, which is the most significant thing that happened on on sunday and uh for someone who's been such a, a positive presence this season uh, that's that's obviously terrible news um he'll miss the euros as well which is which is a shame because he deserves to to go in my opinion. We've uh, sent a few promising players out on loan as well um, and Andreas Christensen is really starting to to uh, perform at Borussia Mönchengladbach, uh, which is interesting right now because obviously with Sümer out injured and Terry expected to to leave the club in the summer, at least that that's what he says. I still have a sneaky feeling that things might change and then he might get an extension of his contract. Um, it's interesting to follow his uh, to follow Christensen's development in Germany. And he's doing really well. So it'll be uh, I think I think he's one to keep an eye on right, right now for, for Chelsea fans to see um, to see what's gonna happen there. Uh presumably we'll sign a top top class centre back if we can in summer as well. Obviously without Champions League football to offer that might be difficult, but we'll still sure. win
2: the Champions League.
3: Oh yeah. Yeah, no, we are. So yeah, we're we're okay. Uh, Yeah, you have to because somehow we have to get screwed out of a top four spot. Absolutely, we'll uh, we'll manage. If you finish fourth, we'll definitely win. (laughs) Oh, I um, think they
2: did change that rule though the year after. They did (laughs) today. So what's? I'm sure there's still. way. send
3: us emails. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Send in your suggestions. (laughs) Um, Apart from that. We're, we're obviously looking at, at candidates to be our permanent manager next season, uh, quite a few Italians are linked, namely Conte, uh, and Allegri, the Juventus manager, and the, uh, manager of the national team, both of them, I would be fairly happy with, uh, and then we've got Sam Paoli who just quit as coach of, um, the national team in, in Chile, I believe. And, um, Simeone of Atlético, obviously being linked as well still, although I I see that as highly unlikely. Um, that's really that's really the main story these days is is who is going to be our manager next season and how are we going to attract players because we definitely need some top quality signings and is is Terry going to be the next season and if not, who's going to have you know his presence in the team because we don't we definitely lack some leaders. Um, and he's obviously, and I, I don't think anyone will really argue that he that he isn't uh, a brilliant leader, like him or not. He he gives everything for the, for the club. So it's definitely it's a it's it's an interesting time at Chelsea, and and major changes will probably happen soon enough.
2: Yeah, you mentioned a couple of managerial candidates there. Uh, Pellegrini mentioned in a press conference since that he would be interested in staying
3: in the Premier League. Does that interest you at all? No, okay. not really, really not <laughs> at all. But um, even though he's he's been linked and and there have been stories that Eminalo, uh wants him in, uh, that he's his first choice. Uh, I don't actually think it's going to happen. I think. Uh, the Chelsea hierarchy they're they're not really considering as a serious candidate and it would be not even a plan b but a plan c or d or e uh
2: well he's many things but I don't think Pellegrini's ever been accused of being an exciting manager or hire which maybe is something you're looking to do
3: (laughs) well the thing is you know he his football philosophy would probably fit in well but that's about it because his tactical ability is not brilliant um as displayed by by Leicester as well the other day. They were completely outplayed at home. And mm. all credit to Leicester, they're a brilliant team and I I do hope you win the Premier League as well, Jim. But um to be outplayed like that at home should not happen if you're a serious candidate for the title, which is what Chelsea are gonna want to be next season or the season after that. So I I don't think they're taking Pellegrini seriously really.
2: Right, then one last quick question. You already said John Terry, you know, as we most know possibly not returning next year. Does Eden Hazard?
3: Uh, that's that's very tricky because uh, there have been so many rumours about him wanting to leave and I don't believe a word of them, really. I think that it's the press there, you know, trying to put two and two together and saying, OK, like, Chelsea's unhappy. Yeah, exactly. Chelsea's having a bad season. He's not playing well. Obviously, he wants to leave and it sells the papers, you know. But he's... Um, having followed him for... A very long time, even before he came to Chelsea, he he played in a in a club in Tubis, uh which was about twenty kilometers away from where I lived when I lived in Belgium. So I, I followed the Hazard family for a long time, and I know that they're not, you know, ones to just to leave when things get tough. They're they're fighters, and and Aiden especially. So um, I think that the rumors are, are wildly exaggerated but obviously it is his dream to go to real madrid and to work with zidane is a very tempting uh, tempting idea for him i think but first of all they've got a transfer ban so it it's not even sure that they're going to be able to to launch a bid for him and second of all i think he he enjoyed, he's enjoyed his time at chelsea very much and he's a, he's a very loyal guy so i think he might stay next season but I could definitely see him leaving as well. And it's going to be one of the stories of the summer.
2: Yeah, for sure. And he did just get uh, off the mark for his 2015-16 goal tally. He did. And he kissed the badge afterwards as well. He did. He did. Um, All right. Well, I I think it's funny you you mentioned how it might just be in the press. One of my favorite AVB stories, of which there are few, by the way, um, was when we signed Hugo Lloris and didn't start him so that Brad Friedel could... uh, up his uh, career total for matches consecutively played. And uh, a, a guy in the media came to one of the press conferences and asked him what he was going to do with Hugo Lloris since he's unhappy because he's not playing. Maybe he just said, is he unhappy? And the journalist was like, surely he is. And he's like, did you talk to him? Like, no. He's like, he's fine.
3: <laughs> that's the thing, you know. That, yeah. that, that's that's what they do with the press. Uh, I, I like the English press a lot. But there are a lot of, of journalists out there as well who just want to sell stories at any price. You don't have to have any truth to write an article that will sell. So that's that's a bit unfortunate. I think I think Hazard's been the victim of that lately.
2: Yeah, and like I said, it definitely does happen. Uh, for Tottenham, things have actually been fairly quiet aside from Spurs fans celebrating being ahead of Arsenal on the table, which we mock them ruthlessly for all the time. So maybe let's tone that down a scotch. <laughs> well, we are currently in second place, which is the latest we've been up here since the 80s. Um, there have been loads of articles this week discussing how great Pochettino is and what he's done for Tottenham and what the future holds for him. Uh, and for me, I, I think it would be very difficult to pry him away from this Tottenham project and impossible to pry him away if we do make Champions League. Uh, I did say on a, an appearance earlier this week on All in Sports Talk that he did have very give very little notice to Southampton that he was leaving. And so that was something that I was a little bit concerned that he could just be like, oh, just kidding. I'm now United's manager. Um, but I did fail to mention on there, and, and probably should have, that the situation at Southampton at that time was very, mm, it, they were in a period of upheaval. Katarina Lieber had just pushed out Nicolo Cortese to run the club, and Cortese is the one that brought Pochettino in. Then that summer, they started selling the, his whole team, basically, which regardless of how they performed afterwards at Liverpool, mostly... Um, but Shaw and Callum Chambers and Adam Lalana and Dejan Lovren and Ricky Lambert, they all left that summer. So there was a lot of change happening at that club. And basically, we're doing the opposite, where we have a ve- very stable system right now with a very measured approach to our transfers, as we saw in January, how we didn't do anything. Um, and Pochettino has the final say on the incomings and outgoing. So something like that, where the power is kind of ripped out from under his feet, is not something that's going to happen at Tottenham. Now, is it possible that Erickson wants to leave because we keep pushing him out to the left? Yes, that's been discussed in his contract negotiations, that he wants to play more centrally. All the fans agree. Uh, could Bentaleb want out because now he's been surpassed as the young talent at the club and he's not really getting minutes? Yes. Could Vertonghen want out if we don't make Champions League? Yes. But there is, we're so far away from a fire sale. Any move that we make will be very measured. Uh, and, and so I don't think there's going to be anything like the fire sale that happened at Southampton where everybody left. And like I said, if we make Champions League, there's literally a 0% chance he leaves. If we don't, I'd put it at around 20%. But fairly confident he'll stay. And he is the next on the contract conveyor belt that seems to be ever-turning at Tottenham. Now, talking about moves, there's been a lot of news this week about how we are in quote-unquote advanced talks with Marseille over the future of Michy Batshuayi. Now, despite me and Dave Hendrick disagreeing on his ability, I think that Kane is better right now. He thinks that Bashua is. Regardless of that, Kane is the currently entrenched striker. So anybody that we're looking at has to know that they're coming in either to play alongside him or behind him, which already makes this look like a no goer to me. As I mentioned last week on the Thursday show, we did speak to Marseille in January, and they said, no, that's okay, <laughs> that neither they wanted to sell, and Mishi himself didn't want to move in that window. Now, I don't know if we've begun speaking with him again but he did sign a new contract that runs through 2020 early in the window uh and so now with all these reports coming out that we're in advanced talks it's possible that we've re- reopened negotiations and we're we're following that route but I think it's just as likely like how Rasmus and I were just speaking about the press there a little bit I could very easily see it being Spurs spoke to Marseille about Batshuayi which was true to shifting to Spurs are in negotiations, Spurs are in advanced negotiations, Spurs are going to sign. It's very easy to see that kind of uh, trans... Not transgression. Uh, You can see those events transpiring pretty linearly. And if I'm correct, wait for next week's headline, Spurs agree fee for Batshuayi. If that happens next week, then we'll know it's nonsense. Um, But I, I would obviously love to have a player that talented at the club. I think a lot of people in England think he's more developed than he is. There's no doubting he's a very good young talent, which is something that Poch is very interested in. But he, like I hear a lot of Liverpool's fans saying that he's the answer for them up front. and it's I don't think it is. they have They already have Divakurigi who is not the same caliber potential wise, but they're at similar places in their development where they still need lots of minutes to get there. And I I don't like their solution of just, let's get seven strikers in and maybe one of them will work out, although they kind of have to because of injuries. I don't mean to just bash Liverpool. I don't know how that's what this turned into. But I don't think we're signing Batshuayi, regardless of what talks are. If we do do it, great. But uh, I, Lequipe have been wrong on us a lot lately. Uh, And I know a lot of people kind of take their word as law, kind of like built in Germany. But they have been wrong on us before. Uh, about Hugo Lloris, about Mbula in the summer window. So uh, I, I just say, you know, few few pinches of, of salt to go with some of those rumors. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds.
0: Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com.
3: It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's
0: Stamps.com code PROGRAM.
2: All right, now uh, we will shift into the topic, which is uh, now that squads are set... What objectives does your club have for the rest of the 2015-16 season, and what would you have to do to achieve them? We'll start off with Jim, your first place. It's no joke. What do you have to do to win the title? Keep beating people.
0: Um, yep.
2: Yeah. Hey, your defense is good <laughs> yeah, now. That's, that's, that's basically it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know if people know this, but Leicester have quietly snuck up to the sixth best defense in the
0: league. Yeah, which is quite an achievement, given the fact that we couldn't defend for about the first 15 game weeks. Um, and we're regularly conceding at least two goals a game, but still managing to win um, via some kind of crazy voodoo magic thing we had going on. Um, I think it's it's important that we get something at Arsenal, obviously, given the fact we're five points um clear it, it you know it doesn't mean it's a must win game i think it's a must win game for arsenal i think after you know a couple of draws in games like the southampton game uh, and uh, games like that where they would expect to win um, and have after seeing manchester city beating last week they they kind of need three points um so i think it's the two is all going to be on them and i think that is the occasion when we strive i think there's times this year where um against like bournemouth for example where um we have kind of come unstuck a little bit when we've been labelled as huge favourites. Um, it doesn't happen very often and we did only draw that game. It's not like we lost, but I think we need to take something from, from the Emirates on Sunday. Um, and then we have got a winnable run of games. Um, you know, until our final three games look a little bit difficult. So we've got, uh, Manchester United away. We've got Everton at home and then, uh, we've got Chelsea away on the last day of the season. Um, which you know could obviously be a huge game if there's still, a, you know, the, the title isn't decided. But after Arsenal, we've got uh, Norwich, West Brom, Watford, Newcastle, Crystal Palace, and Southampton, and Sunderland. Um, so if you look at those games in comparison to some of the games we've had recently, they're very, very winnable games. Um, we just need to keep doing what we're doing. Essentially, it's just head down and carry on. You know, it would be remiss for me to to go through those without pointing out that we haven't got any European football or cup distractions now that we're we're out of the FA Cup. Thanks, Kev. You're um welcome. <laughs> and well I actually am really glad we're not in the FA Cup anymore. Like I'm legitimately happy about that because it, it just means that we can focus on um winning the league or, or trying to finish as high as we possibly can. Um I found it interesting. It's an interesting narrative, um, particularly from Manchester City fans. Perhaps it's just my Twitter timeline which is formed up of Man City fans more than Arsenal fans. But I found it interesting that um, as soon as we went out of the Cups and started beating teams like Manchester City and Liverpool, um, people started pointing out that perhaps the extra time between games would be a negative for Leicester because we'd get so nervous (laughs) due to the fact we had seven days to think about the game. and It just made me laugh. I just think it's fans who have... Know, no, there's they've got a gap to make up on us and have got European ambitions or, or cup ambitions in City's case as well. Um, coming up in the next few months, they've got a cup final on the horizon, so I just think it's funny how the narrative shifts from, oh, yeah, it's it's fine, Leicester will drop off. Oh, Leicester aren't dropping off. Well, maybe all that extra time they've got to think about the next game. <laughs> they have I mean, too many fixtures, really no, nervous. they have too few fixtures. Yeah. Yeah. They have too few fixtures. <laughs> maybe if they play twice a week like us, they could keep the momentum up. Um <laughs> Which is just hilarious. Essentially, it's it's just head down and carry on. As you mentioned, the defence has been brilliant, um, not only from a clean sheet point of view, but Robert Huth has chipped in with some really, really important goals. Um, that early goal really settled us at the Etihad and allowed us to go out and play exactly the kind of football that we thrive on, which is easy when you're at home and you can kind of be that, that kind of attacking force, although we do play on the counter-attack a lot. But putting City a goal down early was brilliant for us because it really allowed mares Kante, Vardy to, and, and Albrighton to stretch the City midfield and they just looked nowhere. They were they were poor um, for large swathes of that game. And I think if we can take that kind of approach into the... It will be interesting to, to kind of take it to the Arsenal game because they're like the ultimate possession team and mm. we're the ultimate counter-attacking team who are actively happy without the ball and pressing higher up. And the last time, obviously, we played them, they're the only team to beat us at home. They beat us 5-2 earlier in the season, but that was during our kind of defensive lapse period uh, before we graduated to knowing how to keep clean sheets. So it's difficult, you know, the ambition obviously is to win the league. I wouldn't be disappointed if we finished, say, third or fourth. Third obviously would be preferable because I don't really want to have a summer thinking about a potential trip to like Turkey or Greece to play someone in the Champions League knockout stage because... I'm very aware that the squad might look particularly different to how it does now. Um, There are players, obviously, through our success that are a lot higher on people's radars than perhaps they would have been had we been in mid-table. The likes of Kante, Mares, for example. Vardy has just signed a new contract, so hopefully that means that he's not going anywhere. signed a new £80,000 a week deal until 2019. So, fingers crossed, that means he's staying with, with the club for a long time to come. And, you know, essentially, if he stays for those three years, he will be 32 by that point. And I don't think he's going to go anywhere else at that point. So, he'll probably end up staying with us until, you know, he's almost ready to stop playing football. Um, But, as I say, getting that automatic Champions League qualification would just be, you know, a ridiculous, ridiculous dream come true for a lot of Leicester fans who haven't seen us in Europe for quite some time especially you know we've never played that top level European football before Mm. so although it would be great to win the league I'm not going to worry and whinge about finishing third or fourth to be honest it's it's just it's already been a dream season and whatever happens from here is kind of a bonus to be honest
2: yeah Ghetto. obviously we talked a little bit earlier about how it's probably more likely that you stay up than go down but if you are to stay up what, what would you have to do
1: um, put simply, we need to finish higher than two out of Sunderland, Norwich, Newcastle and Bournemouth, um, which is putting it in its simplest forms. If, if we carry on playing the way we have over the last few weeks, I think we'll get enough points to stay up. And I do think we're going to need a higher threshold than usual to um, to stay up this season because you know, every, it's been well publicised. Everybody's taking points off each other the gap between the top teams of the league and the bottom teams in the league, with the exception of Villa has, has never been narrower. Um, well, at least not for a very, very long time. So that means the teams down the bottom are getting more points. We're probably going to need 40 points just to be sure of safety this season. Um, but, but we're doing okay at the moment. I would love to see us tighten up at the back and, um, as, well, from set pieces. And, In open play, I think we defend quite well. It is from set pieces that we let ourselves down. If we can sort that out, we should be absolutely fine. Um, But if we do carry on this pace, I think we will get the points that we need to stay up. And that is just our main objective at the moment. Um, Look at the teams around us. I'm not underestimate them. Sunderland are always capable of, of just pulling safety out the hat. Uh, and with Sam Allardyce at the helm, I expect them to do that again. If I'm honest, there's just something about that club, something about that manager. They 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 will somehow just avoid, just overcome the odds, and they will somehow find their way to safety once again. I don't want to
2: take it to this place in a serious way, uh, but the Adam Johnson thing could cause the kind of distraction that could upset Allardyce's record.
1: But but they have dealt with that very very quickly. He has been um, sacked by the club now. And they've dealt with it very, very quickly. That's a wise thing to do. So, I, I think when it comes to the big, the really crunched period in the season, when Sunderland tend to excel, that'll be old news and nobody will be talking about that. So, I think, I think they've done the right thing and just nipping that one in the bud. Just saying, no, we're we're washing our hands of this guy. We're, he's no longer associated with our club. Let's move on. And I think over the next with time, it, people will move on. People will forget about it. Um, Newcastle. I, I I think they've been overspending massively in the window, but I do think they're a, they've are they got the players to stay up. Um, and, and that leaves Bournemouth and Norwich. And I think Bournemouth are doing very, very well this season, considering the injuries they've had. Um and is a very good signing for them. I, I can easily see them staying up. And, that, and then that leaves Norwich then, who are in a bad way at the moment. But we have seen them play reasonably well in periods this season. And if they can find some kind of rhythm, then you know they they could still stay up. So the competition is fierce down the bottom, but we've just, you know, pardon the cliche, but we've got to focus on what we're doing. Um, and if we do carry on the way we are at the moment, playing-wise, I, I, I think we probably are more likely to stay up than go down, which is something I wasn't thinking when we lost to Sunderland a few weeks ago.
2: Yeah, understood. Rasmus, we mentioned you're obviously not competing for the title the way that Chelsea fans are used to. What is kind of the best scenario that you hope to achieve with Chelsea?
3: The best scenario is obviously winning the Champions League, uh, unlikely as it is. Um, Paris Saint-Germain have won their last 16 games in a row, and they're undefeated in something like 34. And we're meeting them in a couple of weeks obviously it's different in the champions league they've they've been so far above any other team uh in the french league as a matter of fact they have more points between them and second place monaco than monaco do to last place whoever it is
0: oh,
3: which is uh incredible um but you know they might they might be a bit complacent they might not be used to to meeting uh to meeting teams that will really put up a fight and that's definitely something Chelsea will do. Um, whether we can beat them is, is another thing, but we're not gonna just roll over and let them tickle our tummies. So um that's that best case scenario that we win the Champions League, that would be it, it would be probably even better than, than when we won the Champions League in, in uh twenty twelve. Um especially if you finish fourth again. Uh Kevin <laughs> But as we talked about earlier, that rule has actually been scrapped now. So it can never be as good, can it? Oh, but, oh um, here's how it could happen.
2: If somebody in the Europa League wins from the Premier League and the Champions yeah. League wins, right? right? Would that still do it?
3: Who's in the Europa League and so. Premier League teams?
2: Uh, Liverpool and United? Right, matches you that's funny. Um anyway. Uh, <laughs> In case you thought Chelsea fans were down and out for the count, there you have it. Even though you can still be like, Yeah, United are trash. Well you know
3: <laughs> if we look at the season, it's been a it's been a really bad one. Um from our point of view. it's uh, been great for me and Jim. This has been. It has, and you know, I'm very happy for Jim. <laughs> <laughs> that was sly. I like that. Yeah. Uh, but The thing is, we can still end up with a cup double like we did in 2012, where we finished sixth and won the FA Cup and the Champions League, and it was arguably our best ever season. It does appear to be far more unlikely this time around, but who knows? And what's interesting about the league is that we're currently on the longest unbeaten run of any team in the league, which is not what you think of when you think of Chelsea right now uh we haven't lost in nine games we've only won three of them but we haven't lost so uh that's all right um and if you look up the table we're currently on 30 points and we're only nine points behind sixth placed west ham which is incredible when you consider the fact that if we you know if we just start winning games now we could we could have actually really easily finished in in the top 6 or the top 8 or whatever and move on from that i definitely think that our goal should be a top half finish and and uh, top 6 is is not just not unlikely we're 17 points off fourth place so i think we can forget about that now but in a way that's kind of pressure off the players shoulders as well um which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it is what it is. And uh, <laughs> you think of Chelsea, and you think it, it's been a horrible season, and then Liverpool are only five points ahead of us.
1: Wow. I mean,
3: that, I just find that very strange after the season that we've had. That we're actually within touching distance of a club like Liverpool. So um, that's 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 very. It's going to be a very interesting um, end to the season, anyway. When I, I certainly personally have the feeling that I'm not as excited uh, going in to watch games anymore as as I was, for example, last season, because whatever we do, it's not what we wanted anyway. So it's kind of, you know, just damage control, really, at this point. In the Champions League and in the FA Cup, obviously that's different. And, and it's nice to have that to, to look forward to because we're only in February. And uh, and who knows what will happen there. But interestingly enough, is that we will play a huge role in deciding what the table is going to look like at the end. Yeah, I was going to mention this. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to mention it now. Our last three home games are against Manchester City, Tottenham and Leicester. Mm-hmm. Which is currently the top three.
2: And then the alternating matches in between there are
3: Bournemouth exactly. and uh Bournemouth and Sunderland. Yeah. So you're gonna decide it's, both ends of the table. We could we could essentially decide who gets relegated and who wins the league and who finishes in the automatic uh Champions League qualification spot. So um that's that's certainly interesting, uh albeit that we won't gain uh that much from it. But ideally we um we win four games and then we lose against Leicester on the final day uh, just to uh, <laughs> to make sure that Arsenal don't win the title or Tottenham. And, suits me. Uh, yeah, well, suits so all of Chelsea fans, really. <laughs> I, I guarantee you, if Arsenal or Tottenham are top well, on the last day... John Terry in his very last Chelsea game will go in and score three own goals. <laughs>
1: <laughs> He'd have to Leave. score a lot of own it,
3: goals. We have a pretty healthy it, goal difference. Club. <laughs> that would, honestly, I think I think people would cheer less the goals that day if Arsenal are top. So um, yeah, or if Tottenham. I'm, i I should say, although you know, Kevin, it's not really going to happen. You're going <laughs> to spur, Spurs it up as as we like to say. Mm. <laughs> that
2: actually that actually lets me segue very well because. Uh, without the snarkiness, I kind of agree with Rasmus there. Uh, like many Spurs fans, I'm I am very careful around the T word um, and whether or not we actually have a chance to win it. The big question this week that's been going around Spurs forums and podcasts, etc., is if you could cash out on the season right now, would you? Which means end the season right now, Leicester finish top, Tottenham finish second. And there's a whole lot of bravado going around with people doing the today is to do what's the point of playing if you don't want to win titles uh and i think that that's obviously what the heart wants the heart wants to compete it's all about the journey i would rather win the title but we don't live in an emotional vacuum we live in the real world where the money from winning something like that can go to the stadium finishing in a guaranteed champions league spot instead of fourth gets you extra money, you don't have to worry about the play in game, which gives you more time to train in the summer. Unfortunately, I think I think I would end it now. I the odds of us versus everyone else, I'm not particularly fond of. Can we beat City Arsenal and United? I'm not particularly confident in that. Um just as Rasmus says, we do tend to I hate this word more than almost anything on this earth, uh, spurs it up or spursy. Ugh, I really hate that a whole bunch. But this is going to be one of the closest title races in years. I think there's, without question, going to be a 10-point gap or less from first to fourth, which does not happen that often. The last five seasons, the gap has been 17, 7, 16, 20, and 12. So really only the 13, 14 season is close to the kind of scenario we're in now. Is this our best shot at a title in the next few years? Absolutely. Uh, and that doesn't really have much to do with us. I think our team will continue to grow and get better as we have so many talented youngsters that are, that are probably going to stay. We may lose one here or there, like I mentioned in, in the making of the rounds, but I think as a core, this is the worst this Tottenham team will be in the next three years. I think we will continue to improve, but this is the best chance at the title because Chelsea have disappointed. Manchester United have disappointed. So have Liverpool. So have City. So have Everton. So there's just this wide open door. Um, and very much not to take anything away from Leicester. But they're also the ones that are taking advantage of this. All those other teams are playing below their talent level. And the only reason Tottenham and Leicester are in this conversation is because we're playing at or above our, our ability level. And I think large part of that goes to the managers. Whenever you get the sum of your parts when it's less than how you're performing, that credit goes to the manager, because it means he's getting everything out of his team. Uh, and I know a lot of people uh, were a little iffy on Ranieri coming in, but he's done a terrific job, as has Pochettino. Um, but anyway, this is all to say. I know how precious the opportunity is for us to win the title, but it, but it really narrows down to us in Manchester United, and can they catch up to us. And that I don't want to tempt that situation. I'd end the season today and have a guaranteed Champions League spot, finish above Arsenal, give us enough money to strengthen in the summer, and then head into next season with the money from the massive Premier League payout and the Champions League funds, put some of that back into the stadium, and and get in the quality of players that we need to have Champions League depth, which would be another strike or another defensive midfielder and another right-sided centre-back. And let's just see how that goes. Okay, I got <laughs> a little uh, off-track. There. Um, What are we trying to do this year? Uh, Right. Okay. I think Tottenham as a club is aiming at top four. I would like top three. You avoid the playing game, which I said. For us to do that, Kane has to stay healthy. Erickson has to continue his recent run of form. Kevin Vimmer has to continue to show that he can replace Jan Vertongen, which to his credit, he has done incredibly well thus far in in that left center back role. And the big question hanging over everything... Which is weirdly not being spoken of by the media, by Spurs fans, by Pochettino. And to me it's the biggest question is, will we hit the wall of fatigue that ended our season in March last year? Last season, today, the day we're recording, we were in 6th place, but just 2 points off 3rd and 6 points off 2nd. We were averaging 1.72 points per game. From today to the end of the season, we dropped... .22 .22 points per game off that. We were averaging 1.5 points per game and ended the season in our last run with six wins, three draws, and five losses. Up to that point, we'd only had six losses all season and managed five from February onward. The play got awful. Eriksson wasn't completing passes. Players weren't willing to make the runs. It was a very, very big problem that for some reason nobody is addressing. After the Arsenal win last year, which was a terrific win, everybody was saying, that we had a terrific chance at top four. And then we just pissed it away from there to the end of the season. And it's because Pochettino loves his double training session. He wasn't as good at substitutions last year as he has been this year. But we are in a very similar situation. Right now, we're averaging 1.92 points per game up to this point in the season. If we drop the same .22 games like we did last year, Manchester United are within four points of us. I love my statistics, but I realize they're not real life. Four points in real life off of a statistic is within, you know, your range of difference. They could make that up and all of a sudden you're in risk of losing a Champions League spot. So we absolutely cannot do that. So I hope that uh, whoever listens to the rumors and randomly starts articles based on one person saying one thing, how about we do that with something that is actually realistic, which is us hitting that wall. Yes, Pochettino is substituted better. We had the trip to Spain to try to get the players to relax a bit more, like we didn't still have training every day when we were over there. We don't have depth at striker. We don't have depth at center back now that Vimmer is playing left center back, and our right-sided center back behind Alderweireld is Eric Dyer, who's also in our starting 11 as a defensive midfielder. This is a very, very thin sheet of ice that Spurs are skating on, and if we get a single crack in there, it could all collapse, and... I love hearing people compliment Tottenham. I've heard people say that we could finish as high as second if Arsenal and City don't get their act together. It's possible, but just as possible is that we cave and finish fifth, which would be, I think, devastating to this side who has built so much on confidence and playing for each other to fall short this year would be a massive failure for me. And I think then you're looking at, if we don't get Champions League, which does sound crazy as the points stand right now, but I just gave you a very realistic way in which it happens. If we don't make Champions League, you start looking at Hugo Lloris, Jan Vertongen, Christian Eriksen, and potentially Harry Kane as players that may be wanting to move on to stay in the Champions League. And then you're talking about breaking down the entire future core that we've spoken so much about and gotten so much credit for. So it is very important that we keep up. Our, our performances till the end of the season, and I'm worried that we won't. But if we do, I think we make top three. All right, now that I have effectively killed the buzz, uh, let's very quickly move on to the Liverpool ticket situation. Earlier in the week, well, at the weekend, uh, for the matches, fans walked out on the 77th minute. Liverpool promptly conceded two goals to Sunderland. I'm not saying there's a... Uh, <laughs> corollary effect there well I am saying this corollary I'm saying it's not causative but it may be uh, quickly what was your guys take on the ticket situation of them rising them and then being willing to admit that they made a mistake and then locking in this year's ticket prices
0: I'd be the first to commend Liverpool fans for the amount of people that were involved in the walkout I think the fact that it was estimated to be 10,000 people um, walking out at the 77th minute really made a, a huge impact um, so all credit to the people who organised that and you know it's it's a fantastic outcome that the club have reconsidered I think that it was probably not handled the best in terms of PR um, but I think in the end you know the right result um, has probably come about in that at least it will be reconsidered and you know either either scrapped completely or perhaps a fairer conclusion will um, will come to pass because you know, there's been a few different players I've heard, you know, on radio and TV. Dietmar Haman, for one, saying that, you know, Liverpool have been made a scapegoat um, for this ticket price debate because of the fact that, you know, the, of what they've done recently. But there are other teams in the Premier League who charge more on a regular basis. Um, Spurs do have relatively high ticket prices, although I don't think as high as £77. Arsenal certainly do. They have the most expensive season tickets in the, the club and probably the world. And, um, so this isn't, you know, this isn't a problem that is localised to Liverpool, but I think with Liverpool's working class roots and the kind of history between the club and being a club of the people in that in that local area um, rather than necessarily a huge um, global brand, although they are. And, and that's the way a lot of clubs are marketed these days. I think that kind of had that extra kick to it. Uh, it probably shows that it's probably a cautionary tale to any um, club's directors that are considering upping the um, ticket prices in the wake of the new TV deal, which is essentially going to increase the revenues massively and probably make every single Premier League club probably one of the what, 40 richest clubs in Europe. Um, you know, finishing bottom of the Premier League next year is estimated to net you in the region of £100 million, which is going to put you above the vast majority of clubs playing at any level in Europe in terms of revenue. So there's a very, very difficult balance to be struck here. I understand clubs want to, you know, raise funds and increase ticket prices is one way of doing that. But it has to be done in a way that is considerate and, you know, depending on your club situation, you're able to charge a lot more in London. That's just the, the way that it goes. Everything is more expensive in London. Housing, food, you know, drinks, everything is expensive. So there is a certain premium that's anticipated by fans that are going to games in those those regions. But as you go further up north, you know, the, the, the issue becomes slightly more difficult because of the fact that people don't earn as high wages and, and taking your season tickets from around the £650, £700 mark a season, which is already one of the highest in the league to, to over £1,000, you know, I think just proved a step too far for a lot of fans and, and quite rightly so.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I, I, again, I, I think the Liverpool fans have done the right thing and walking out for the club have done the right thing and sort of taking a backward step. Um, £77 is too much for any regular league game. It's it's just absurd but I think I think fans are realistic as well. I think we do understand that we're watching a very high-caliber football year. And people are willing to pay quite a lot of money to watch football. It's just that when clubs really do take the mick, if I'm honest, and, and really insult fans with, with ticket pricing, I think that's when people get angry. Um, people understand that in London you can pay, charge a bit more, so Arsenal and West Ham, uh, sorry, Arsenal and Spurs and Chelsea, they're going to charge you a little bit more than that. Um, whereas, I think Swans, you Swansea, know, your, your average, I think our regular league match costs £35, which is a lot of money in one of the most deprived areas of Western Europe, uh, which South Wales is, but its it, you are paying it for a very, very good product. Uh, and in fairness to the Swans, um, our, our board have subsidised our away. Um, tickets this season, so nobody has to pay more than twenty two pounds for any away ticket this this season, which is a great gesture uh, and one which we've um, we've really really appreciated. My actually my biggest concern with ticket pricing doesn't lie in the Premier League; it lies in the lower lower leagues. I I differently to any of you, I grew I've spent most of my um, life supporting a team in the lower leagues, and specifically m- much of it actually in the bottom tier of the football league, in League Two. And when I started supporting this ones well, down in League Two, it was I think six pound for a, a child's ticket and eight pound for an adult ticket. Um, I went to two League Two matches last season at Newport County and Cheltenham Town, and on both occasions I paid more than twenty pounds for an adult terrace ticket. So to stand during a game cost more than twenty pound in the fourth tier. To put that into context, Borussia Dortmund's fans were chucking tennis balls off the pitch in protest this week because they had to pay, I think, fifteen the equivalent of £15 pounds for uh, a, a cup match. Mm. That, I mean, that puts it into stark perspective how absurdly overpriced tickets in, in this country are compared to Europe. A fourth-tier match in this country costs more than a cup match in Germany yeah. at one of the biggest clubs. Now, that really does offend me. Because people there are not paying for a high standard football. Both those matches I watched were as dreadful as any Swansea match I watched in League Two. That is the typical standard in League Two. It's not a good league, um, and you are and, and these are just people's local clubs. They're not paying to watch great football like Chelsea, Arsenal, um, Leicester this season. Uh, fans are doing. You know they're, they're paying to watch just their local club playing. That is how most football fans develop a relationship with their team and if they're not able to afford that week in week out we are going to be left with a lost generation of fans who are going to grow up watching football solely on TV that is appalling that is not healthy at all for the fan culture in in this country we need fans especially young fans Watching football week in, week out in stadiums. If they can't afford to go to, uh, the, you know, the the big Premier League clubs, the glamour clubs, there has to be that option for them to go to their local club, and and watch affordable, if low standard football, just so that they can develop that relationship with a club. If not, if that isn't allowed to happen, then the, the lower leagues will die off because they they are going to struggle more and more and more to attract players. And if the lower leagues break down, then then it will actually sort of drift up into the lower upper 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 sorry the upper leagues as well, and you are just going to be left with what we're on the way to at the moment, which is solar stadiums full of customers, not proper fans who really develop a a strong relationship over a long period of time. That's not something we want to see in football, and if we do want to avoid that scenario, then ticket prices do have to be adjusted just to suit the fans and the clubs that has to be a middle ground.
3: I agree with with pretty much everything that's been said and and yeah all credit to liverpool fans for for doing what they did. It was a it was really um a significant statement that they made there and and I applaud them for it. Personally, uh, I I've, I've gone to chelsea matches and paid something like 86 pounds for a ticket a few times. Which um, you all mentioned that uh, in London you should expect to be paying a bit more, but eighty-six pounds. I'm a student. That's ridiculous. Um, it just means that obviously, obviously, I don't live in London uh, these days, and and the travel and everything. That's that's not the club's fault. That is my own fault. But to go there is is expensive enough on its own without having to pay eighty-six pounds for a ticket. Uh, I believe it should be more or less half of that. Really, uh, I would be—I I would honestly think that was a much more fair price. And I—I um, I know a lot of people uh, who are still locals in in and around Chelsea and Kensington and Fulham, and that go to um, to matches every week. You know, twice a week even, and and they say that the the atmosphere, as you mentioned, Guto, is is just getting worse and worse and worse there was um one i spoke to a guy the other day uh, he he was at the game against manchester united which obviously is is you know one of the, one of the most appealing games for tourists to go to and he said that he literally did not recognize a single supporter around him in the entire stand and he's been going to chelsea games for 40 years um and that's because they've been priced out going the locals a lot of them they can't afford they have to pick and choose which matches they want to go to now and that's not what being a supporter is all about if you're a real supporter you want to go to every single game and you should have the chance to uh if i could i would go to every single game as well but there's no way that i i could afford that even if i did live in london uh which is which is such a shame because there are, there are people who want to go to the stadium to be entertained and then there are people who go to the stadium to support the team to sing and to cheer and to you know, feel, share the same emotions that the players go through out there on the pitch, and really, the Chelsea supporters, you cut them, they'll they'll bleed blue. But but that's not the supporters that are in the stadium, and it's increasingly the supporters that will be in in the pubs around, you know, the local pubs around the stadium. It's just not how it's supposed to be. Football should not be about money. To the extent that it is, obviously, it's become a huge business in a number of ways, and and when you think about the money that's currently uh, rolling in, Manchester United are going to uh, overtake Barcelona and Real Madrid, who are, you know, historically speaking, the most popular clubs, pro- probably in world football. They're going to overtake them as as the wealthiest club in the world this year. That's that's the prediction, anyway. Uh, one billion pounds from sponsors, the five billion, te- television rights deal, and so on and so on. When, when you talk about matchday revenue, they earn something like, a million. Uh, they, they could earn something like they would earn a million less if they put the, if they put the prices down. When you talk about a million less, that's nothing when you think about the amount of money that they've got and. Obviously, they're going to say, "Yeah, it's to to stay competitive. It's to be able to challenge uh, other clubs to sign world class players." And the inflation in those in that market as well is incredible. Uh, that we're seeing players that that are soon going to cost more than than a hundred million pounds. It's just ridiculous. But fair enough, that's that's the way it is. I I read a stat the other day on ticket prices though that they've gone up in the last 30 years i think it was triple uh the inflation rate mm. of of the general market general economy sorry which is just not how it's supposed to be it's supposed to be you know the locals you go and you cheer on your your local club they should always come first if you ask me and i'm i'm not even a local but they should always come first they're the ones that really matter and and it, it, I feel it saddens me so much that they're priced out of games, and and when I when I go to Stamford Bridge these days, I'm the one who who sings the loudest in 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 the in my in vicinity, you know. Which is uh, fair enough. I I've supported them my entire life as well, and I'm very passionate about supporting Chelsea, but it's just incredible that I should be the one to to make noise in the stadium where essentially people they're more occupied with with taking selfies and and when a goal is scored they stand up and they start clapping you know silently (laughs) just just clap well that's not how you exactly it's it's (laughs) it's become a rich man's game and it's lost it's it's losing its charm and it's losing its culture and it's it it should really change before it's too late because it's it's just a massive part of of British culture, and, and everywhere around the world, really. Uh, it's, it's, it's incredibly sad to see how it's developing.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, uh, we have run a bit long, and I really wanted to get into the previews because the entire top four play each other this week, but we'll have to go very quickly. Just hit me with a result. Swansea versus Southampton.
1: 2-0 to Southampton. <laughs> oh,
2: that's really sad.
1: They're uh, really good at set pieces. They so are we're, third we're best in really the <laughs> And they've got a very good defense. I I think we'll struggle.
2: Ooh, all right. Uh, Rasmus, Chelsea versus Newcastle.
3: Uh, three 0
2: Chelsea. Jim, a big in Arsenal versus Leicester. I will go for two two draw. Nice. Uh, City versus Tottenham. I'm gonna go two one Tottenham. I might be insane, but we have a better defense than they do, and we have a, a better attack than they do. So. Uh, I'm going to leave it up to the numbers so that I don't look like an idiot either way, Uh, unless you think I'm an idiot for sticking to numbers, (laughs) in which case, well, I guess I've already lost that battle. Okay, uh, quickly, can you tell people where they can find you and any projects you're working on?
0: Thanks for listening, guys. I've been Jim. Uh, I'm the chief betting editor at Goal.com, so if you want to read more of my stuff, uh, there will be things there, especially around Leicester this week, given the... Um, unlikely title tilt. We're doing a piece um, about how much it's going to cost UK bookmakers if Leicester do win the title this year. Um, it's probably more than you you think, given the uh, the general attitudes that I've encountered while doing that piece. I'm also putting something together for the Japanese edition on uh, Shinji Okazaki as well. So if you want to read my my take on him, there'll probably be a version of that on the uh, on the UK site as well uh, as the Japanese one.
1: Uh, the latest episode of the Jackcast is up where we discuss uh, the jog is Chris Parson. and look forward to Southampton. So you can find us at the Jackcast on Twitter.
3: Yeah, thanks for listening, guys. If you want to contact me or anything like that, Twitter is your best chance. Uh, you can reach me at Chelsea Rumors, and I'll be happy to um, answer any questions you might have. Yeah,
2: and I'm your host, Kevin DeVries, at KevRuff on Twitter. You can find my fantasy writings over at playtalga.com and TheEaglesBeak.com. Also listen to our fantasy show that goes up Thursday mornings. This is the EPL Roundtable, comes out on Fridays and Mondays. So be sure to keep tuning in, and we'll be sure to keep having great guests like these on. Thanks so much, guys. It's been a pleasure as always, and we
0: hope you keep listening.